go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 13, and I'm going to try and tie in this morning with what I shared last week, and then just, um, I'd like to have some ministry this morning. I'd like us to minister to each other and encourage each other, and hopefully that will happen, but see how it goes. I've called this, I don't know what to call this, because there's two sections to this, this portion, and the one is talking about us arising and letting God shine on our lives, and there's this whole thing of arise, sleep, wake up, the call of God, and there's this another theme of shining into the world like a light, and then there's also a portion which speaks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to pick one of those three this morning and call this message, arise or wake and shine like a searchlight. That's what the Bible says, shine like a searchlight, but we're going to read together. Verse 13, it says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that there's power in your word. I thank you that your word transforms us. And I pray, Lord, just as, your, as I preach this morning, that your spirit would come and bring life to words. Words are useless other than in the hand of your spirit. When they are in the hand of your spirit, they are powerful to transform our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you come, that this word would take root in good soil this morning, and uh, that our, the soil of our hearts should be open and soft to you. In Jesus' name. So this kind of carries on with... Um, what we were talking about last week, about Paul saying, you once were darkness, now you are light. Okay, And he encouraged us, said, walk then as children of light. And so this kind of carries on in terms of that theme, that uh, Jesus is the light of the world, it explores that, and as Jesus is the light of the world, we are in him, and so we too become light, because we are in Christ. And in the previous section, Paul had that wonderful encouragement to us, you were darkness, you are light, there's been this radical transformation in your lives. Now walk as children of light. And he positively encouraged the Ephesian church and at the same time us not to be those that partake, take part in acts of darkness and be people those that are be like those that are disobedient. Remember, he said, don't be like that anymore. That's, that's how you were before you were saved. And he encouraged us, he said, no, don't walk like that anymore, but walk as the son of the light. Walk like this now. The light of the gospel, what Jesus has done, let your life fall into line with what Christ has already done for you. And the position that you have in heaven, that is secure and eternal, your sonship, begin to just let the Spirit transform you on earth so that what is true in heaven becomes true for your life here on earth. And that's the great encouragement. You belong to Jesus, he's saying. You're the light of the world, just as Jesus was a light to the world, so you become a light of the world. So walk as children of light. And Paul is continually calling us in these, in these chapters to godliness. He's saying, he's encouraging us. He's saying, come on, I want to stand with you as brothers. You're saved. It's a good thing. Now let's walk together, and I want to encourage you to walk in a godly way. And it's, I tried to explain last week, it's in the light of the therefore, the therefore of the gospel that Paul says, this is why I want to encourage you, because it's in the light of the gospel, the transforming power of Jesus in your life, that you can walk a different way. And that's his encouragement. And I, I concluded last week by saying, don't let disobedience rob you of what God has for you on earth. And ultimately, one day, the rewards that God has for you in heaven. And that's what the Bible 
quite clear about in the New Testament. It's saying, no, no, there is a reward for us. There is an inheritance for us. There's something to be enjoyed here on earth as well as in heaven. And what did Mark Gungor say in the marriage seminar yesterday? He said, there are some relational physics, some relational principles that are true whether you are Christian or not. There's the way that you can relate to people that works whether you are Christian or not. Just because you're born again doesn't give you dibs on a healthy marriage, does it? No, if you're ignoring all the relational uh, physics, if you like, you're not going to have a healthy marriage. And some pagans, some heathens have great marriages because there's some basic things they're putting right in their lives. So don't let disobedience rob you of what God has for you in your marriage. If you hear God speaking, soften your heart because you want to have a wonderful marriage, don't you? I do. It's worth fighting for to have a great marriage. It is. And so... Paul described, remember at the end of the portion last week, he said, this is what light looks like. You can identify what light looks like. Light looks like this. It's found in all that is good, all that is right, and all that is true. That's what light looks like. That's how you can identify it. Everything that's lovely, pure, noble, everything that's true and righteous, that's light. And he says, when that kind of self, the new self, when you take on, when you put on the new self, then your life inevitably is led by the Spirit to a place where there's goodness in your life and there's kindness in your life and there's sweetness in your relationships towards other people because the Spirit is transforming you from the inside out. That's what he's saying. And that results in righteousness. And righteousness is just another word for integrity. And integrity is how we deal with other people. And he says, basically, there's truth, there's openness, there's nothing hidden in the body of Christ saying one thing and doing another and kind of hiding some things and withholding some information. That's not appropriate for a believing community. The church doesn't work like that. Surely these are signs of a transformed community, that there's absolute openness and integrity. What you say is true because this is truth. This is light. This is righteousness. This is a sign of a transformed community that's being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a sign of a marriage that's being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But actually there's openness in your marriage in every way. Not withholding of affection love. Yeah? That's what life looks like. You can identify it. So, we begin to see things entirely differently. We begin to walk differently in purity and light. And in this portion today, as we're going to, um, uh, Paul describes the portion we've just read, he says, there are a number of results of light that you can see. Okay? He says, these you can identify some results of light. And here are some results of light to you. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, and everything that is visible is light. The first thing that happens is things become visible. What he's saying is this, that when Christ invades your life and takes hold of you and transforms you, and the light of the world comes to you, you start to see what is true and what is not true. You start to see sin, and you start to see righteousness. You start to see things clearly in a, in a whole new way. The first thing he says is, when the light comes to you, Things become visible, and there's a sense of the Spirit now in you helps you to see what is right, what is true, what is not true, and you can start to make meaning. There's a compass in your life that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, well, Jesus said this, he said, I'm the light of the world, and who follows after me will not walk in darkness. That's his promise to us, that as we follow after him by the power of the Spirit, we won't walk in darkness. So... The light begins to shine through us in how we live, what we do, what we say. There's evidence 
of things in our lives as we transform that become visible to other people. And they can see, ah, oh, yeah, you are light. I see that. Why do you, why do you react like that? Why, why do you do that? I, I see it's light in your life. Ultimately, as we just live our lives, the world becomes exposed for what it really is. And the world is really a dark place, isn't it? It's a, a place full of, of depression and lonely people, living bored lives, doing selfish things, living for themselves, living for their own pleasure. What is the, we read a couple of weeks ago, rebellious people who with, uh, with uh, hatred after God, not seeking Him in, in, in any way. That's really what the, what the world looks like, apart from the light of Christ. And that becomes more and more evident and visible as we walk forward by the power of the Spirit. So, as we walk by the power of the Spirit, it's like a searchlight. Wonderful picture that Paul is painting here. It's like the light becomes visible, and by the light, other things are seen. And it's like, I always uh, imagine in my head like a Second World War movie where, you know, the bombers are coming over London, and suddenly there are these amazing spotlights that just cut through the night, and you can see them from miles around. Paul's saying that's actually what our life should be like. Yes, the world is a dark place, but actually, because the light of the world is in you, and Christ is in you, and and you are now light, you once were darkness, you are now light, People can see you because you're like a searchlight that just cuts through the darkness. And it's obvious. And people, can, hey, this, there's a searchlight here. There's, there's something that is transforming the darkness. It's breaking open. It's cutting back the darkness. It's kicking in the darkness. And it's just you allowing God to transform you from the inside out by the power of the Spirit and live your life. And that is, you're like a searchlight in a dark place. Isn't that encouraging? And then Paul says, the second thing he says, he says, not only does that happen, but he says that other things become visible by the light. As you shine, what is in darkness becomes visible. And in that sense, everything becomes light. So it's the, 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 the things that are hidden, they don't remain hidden anymore in the light of Christ. And those things that are in darkness and are, are hidden, they become exposed. And all things ultimately are revealed by the light. Isn't that amazing? And so he's, he, with that in mind, he just quotes a piece of poetry. This is not a piece, he's not quoting the scripture here. It's a piece of poetry. And he just says, Awake, O sleeper, <laughs> and rise from the dead, and let Christ shine on you. So he quotes this little piece of poetry. And ultimately, that is, that is the summation, it's the summary of the Christian message to the world, isn't it? Awake, sleeper. Rise from your sleep and let the Son of God shine upon your life. That's the call that we have as Christians. That's what we declare in different ways to the world. Say, now come on, awake, arise. You are in a deep spiritual sleep. You Don't you know that you need a Savior? And yes, there is a Savior, and His name is Jesus. And He wants to take you from darkness, and He wants to put you in light. He wants you to become, you who were dark, He wants you to become light. Awake, sleeper, rise from the dead. That's the call that we have. The world, the summary of our call. Let his light shine upon you. And Paul continues and he says, we too walk as light and be light and be a searchlight and all that stuff. But then he also says, not only, not only be that by the power of the Spirit, but also walk wisely. He says that. He says, yes, there's the, there's the thing of walking as light, absolutely. But also walk wisely. Why? Because the days are evil and make the best use of your time. So make sure that when you walk, you walk wisely. 
So I wanted to just say this as a, ba- as a, backdrop, uh, a, back- a backdrop to the, the couple of comments I'm going to make now. You know, there's a difference between lots of knowledge and wisdom. And just because you have lots of knowledge doesn't mean you are wise. Yeah? Wisdom is not just knowledge, you know? You can fill your life with every teaching from around the globe of how you should live as a Christian and all this kind of stuff. And that's all good. good. I, love, I believe in teaching. I believe in the Word. Absolutely. doesn't make you a wise person in terms of living your life. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Wisdom is skill at living. Wisdom is taking knowledge and applying it in a way that is skillful. Yeah? And enables you to live your life skillfully. And I want to say to you, by the power of the Spirit, that wisdom is available to us as Christians, isn't it? We can learn to be wise. We can make some wise decisions. The Scripture says, if you lack wisdom, ask. So if you don't feel like you're a wise person, that's fine. That's cool, because you can ask and say, Holy Spirit, please help me to be wise. Help me to see things from your perspective. Help me speak, speak to me through your words so I can live wisely. I don't want to just be full of knowledge. So I want to say to you, foolish living is governed by a number of things. It's governed by rashness. It's governed by flying off the handle. It's governed by anger. It's governed by base motivations like that. That's foolish living. If we live like that, we are living foolishly. Impulsively. Impulsive living is not wise living. Wise living is exactly the opposite that comes from the Spirit. Because what does wisdom do? Wisdom thinks. Wisdom takes time. Wisdom considers a situation from every different angle. And considers it and and says, Holy Spirit, show me. I don't want to do something rashly. I don't want to just fly off the handle here. Help me to measure this. Help me to settle my heart so that when when I make my response, it's not a reaction, it's a response that has been thought through, walked through, you've settled me in, inside of myself, and now I respond out of the place, and I'm not angry, I'm not rash, I'm living wisely. I want to start living like that. Continue to live like that. So that's why Paul says, that's what he's saying, that's what he's, he's thinking when he says, be careful how you walk, that's what he's meaning. He's saying when you walk, be careful, take time to carefully consider what you are going to do. Don't rush ahead. Don't rush ahead of God. Don't make a decision rashly. And we can learn to do that and grow in wisdom. Ask God if we lack wisdom. And that's a powerful, powerful thing for a believing community to start flowing in that kind of wisdom, not just as individuals, but together as a community, as a church. And then he says, make the most of your time. Very practical, isn't it? Make the most of your time. I believe that we do need structure in our lives. And I believe it's possible to get structure without being legalistic. Sometimes structure is just thrust into your life, isn't it? When you have a baby, suddenly some structure comes into your life. You could sleep all hours of the day and night. Suddenly there's this little gift from God saying every four hours, feed me. And you're like, some structure. (laughs) I still remember waking up in the middle of the night. I've said this before, I think. Helen used to have long hair. I just remember seeing the silhouette in the bed with this hair like, and this baby on her breast, and it's like three o'clock in the morning, and she's, hopped, she's just like, there's some structure that comes when you have a child, whether you like it or not. And it's not legalistic. It's because you love something that you want to do that. You love the child. That's why you want to feed the child. 
And then there, if you, some of you are brave enough to have three children or four children. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is this. You know, the structure doesn't have to be the same for every single one of us, does it? I, I'm not particularly good in the morning. But that's okay. There's some people that are very good in the morning. And when they just they get up, they're just like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they're just fantastic. I'm not particularly like that. Okay? But what I'm trying to say is structure in your life doesn't have to be a legalistic thing, but structure enables you to live well. So all I'm trying to encourage you this morning is find structure in your life, some sense of a, of a systematic approach to your life that cultivates, gives you time to cultivate your relationship with God and gives you time to cultivate your relationship with other people. I'm saying very basically this morning. I'm not too concerned whether your devotional time happens early in the morning, late at night, in the car, as long as your devotional time happens for you and it works for you and you're hearing for God from God for your life. Yes? I mean, too many, too many things in the Christian church have been, unless you do it like this, unless you do it like that, it's like, it's just oppressive. You've got to get something that works for yourself. I've got to get something that works for me and same for you. And I'm trying to encourage you in that this, this morning. Something that works, that is still open to the Holy Spirit, that still in, enables you to be spontaneous when you want to be spontaneous. You're not so locked in. If you can't be spontaneous and the Holy Spirit says, well, today I want you to do that. And you're like, no, sorry, Lord, I can't. This is my devotional time. You hear what I'm saying? Spontaneous. Flow with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit. So Paul encourages us in the first little portion that I, out of that that I wanted to kind of conclude that section on light. And then he goes on, and again now he's coming back to the thing of encouraging us to be live God in love. And he says this, if you read from verse 8. I'm just going to read a little bit more, and then we're going to have some ministry. And he carries on, he says, Don't get drunk with wine. Well, that's debauchery, or some of the translations use the word dissipation. It says, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wow, that's, that's an incredible portion. He's urging us. He's saying, come on, guys. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. I'm urging you, encouraging you, live a godly life. And this is, he wants to give us some keys to help us. And he says three things. Again, like I said, negative and positive, and then there's a result of that. He says, well, you must avoid these things. Please avoid these things, one. But be full of this. <laughs> and if you're full of this, this is what you'll see. That's what he's saying, very simply, three little things. What does he say we should avoid? He says, avoid ungodliness, basically. Don't get drunk. And he's saying, that's how you used to get your kicks before you were saved. Before you knew Christ, if you were feeling a little depressed or feeling a little bit down, what did you used to go and do? You went out with your mates, and you didn't just have one or two drinks. You had lots so that you began to feel jolly, and you began to feel the life and soul of the party, and you began to relax a little bit. And... Uh, you started to just swing a little. Yeah? That's what people use alcohol for when they're feeling uptight. And then they become the life and soul of the party. I was just thinking as I was preparing this week, it's amazing. People generally only sing at football matches or when they're drunk. Isn't that right? 
They generally too shy to sing. But when they're a little bit oiled, then they're happy to sing for everybody. <laughs> or at football. And so ultimately Paul's saying, no, but be careful. Because he's saying it's, it's, only, it's only for a time that, that it helps you like that. Uh, because ultimately it leads to debauchery. Ultimately it leads to dissipation. And that's the other word that is used. And, and he's saying ultimately it's not good for you. Because ultimately it's not good for your health. And if you have too much alcohol, what happens? You ultimately get depressed anyway. So he's saying, no, no, that's how you lived before you knew Jesus. That's how you used to respond before you knew Jesus. So he's saying, I'm going to give you a clue here that you can still have that kind of fullness, but it doesn't come by alcohol anymore. It comes by the power of the Spirit. He's saying, you can still have a confidence in your life. You can still have a song in your heart. You can still be the life and soul of the party, but it's not by alcohol anymore. It's by the fullness of the Spirit in you. And that is not depressing. That is encouraging. That is profoundly encouraging. So Paul's saying, no, no, there's a better way for you. A much better way. And actually, the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Yeah? And there's this power that comes. I want to use this. There's a relaxed confidence that comes into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. It enables you to sing from the heart. It enables you to encourage other people. And it's saying, despite what difficult circumstances in your life, you can have that power available to you. And it's a powerful thing. It's not destructive. It's encouraging. And I just wanted to look carefully because this word filled is used in a number of places in the Bible in different ways. And sometimes when it's in the New Testament, it says you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It does refer to a once-off event, like an amazing manifestation of God. For example, there's some examples in Acts, um, like when they were baptized by the Spirit and they all started speaking in tongues. It was an extraordinary manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Or Peter gets up in Acts chapter 4 to, to, to um, defend himself, and he has this extraordinary ability to speak. And the Bible says that came by the power of the Holy Spirit. He had extraordinary wisdom that he wasn't used to having. All right? Um, but Paul is using the word filled here in a different way because it's, it's, the, the tense of the word is present continuous tense. In other words, this is, needs to be a part of your life that is ongoing and continuous all at the same time. Be filled by the Holy Spirit in this way. It's not just extraordinary things that happen. This is a state of your life, an ongoing state of your life that is always within you. The power of the Holy Spirit filling you always like this all of the time. That's what he's saying. It's a characteristic of your life. And if you look at um, uh, other portions like when uh, in Acts chapter 11, it says of, of Barnabas, he was a man full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. It's the same word. It's saying he was a man that was constantly in this state. He was always like this. All right? And also, when it says we should choose deacons in the church, it uses the same word there. And it says deacons in the church are to be man uh, or people full of the Spirit. You know, I've just something went on in my head as I read that this, this week. We always look for leaders, people that have a leadership gift. What is the good of having a person who's got a leadership gift if they're not constant? By the power of the Spirit. That, that just, it went on. My light went, Going! Yes, Lord, you're saying you want people to lead your church that are full of the Holy Spirit. That means they are constantly in a steady place. They're not up and down. 
They're constantly in a steady place. That was a challenge to me. <laughs> yeah? There's a relaxed consistency in people's lives that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Steady presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I think the, the Scripture says, you know, all of us should work out our salvation. And it says we should work out our salvation in fear and in trembling, in the fear of, of, of God. And that doesn't mean you're scared, but in fear of God. And it says in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what it means. It's saying this is how you work out your, your salvation, in this way. With this constancy by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says um, the result of this relaxed confidence, if you like, the result of this evidence of the Holy Spirit, you can look for these things and you see these things. And he uses five phrases again. He says, addressing one another, singing to each other, making melody in your heart to God, <laughs> always giving thanks, and submitting to one another. There's five little things that are evidence of a transformed life living by the power of the Holy Spirit. I find it encouraging. So these are the things that he says. He says um, a person who's yielded to the Spirit is in, in their lives is someone who has good fellowship with other people, gets on with other people. He says the person who sings, <laughs> the person who's thankful, the person who um, gets on well with other Christians, basically. Man, I was just, this morning when I got up to pray, I, I just said, Lord, can I say that of myself? I've got a priestess this morning. <laughs> Can I say that of myself? Are those constant characteristics of my life? When, when people see me and uh, my life and my kids, do they say, gee, you know, he's always got a song in his heart, despite it when things are tough? Like Paul and Silas. About midnight, it says, uh, you know the story well, about midnight, they're in the prison, they're about to get killed the next day, and they're still singing. I'm not going, <laughs> that, is, that is incredible. That is that is by the power of the Spirit. You can't do that out of your own power. Can't sing like that. Can I say, can I challenge all of us? Can I say, can you say that's true for your life? Can we as a community of believers say that that is true for us as a church? It's a great, great challenge, isn't it? Can we say there's a relaxed confidence in this community that God is going to come through in the end, and we believe that with all of our hearts. Yeah? That's faith. Yeah. And uh, singing, addressing one another, making melody in our hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks. And then lastly, Paul says, you can see a person who's submitted to the Holy Spirit because basically they submitted to other people. Isn't that amazing? They submitted to other people. And they get on with other people. They recognize they're part of a community. They're part of a fellowship. They're part of the, the body of Christ. We don't put ourselves and our selfish needs first. We put something of God's agenda for his community in primary place in our lives. Because that's a sign of being submitted to the Holy Spirit. That actually you get on with other people. You are in fellowship with other people. You're not just doing your own thing, but you are in fellowship with other believers. And something of the Christ community, the church as a central place in your heart. Amen. Absolutely. And he says, well, I was reflecting on that this morning. I was just thinking, you know, so much of our culture is still essentially self-centered and individualistic. This, my needs, what's good for me. And I thought, you know, so much of the church is still so self-centered. What's good for me? 
my ministry. How can I do this? I was chatting with a friend this week who um, he's part of large conferences all over the world, and he was just saying this to me. There's a fear in his heart that something has been created that is essentially a consumer culture where literally thousands and thousands of people all over the world are going to these conferences, and he's a person that is, has led and encouraged all these things. He said, I'm not sure if we're producing disciples or if we're just producing consumer Christians who come when the cappuccino is right and when the worship is right and when this is right and when that is right. They'll come to be fed, but they're not really disciples. Man, that's a challenge, isn't it? Will we still be disciples when the coffee is not particularly good and the preaching is bad one Sunday? Not just individuals and individualistic. And Paul concludes this little portion and he says, we should submit to each other out of fear of Christ. What he's trying to say is this, I think. He needs, he's saying, just be aware you're not living for yourself. Be aware that you're living for the reward of Jesus one day to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? But Jesus has something for us and he wants us to enjoy the fullness of that here on earth. And so I want to say that I think something of that obedience we learn together as a community. We learn it together. Um, we grow in holiness together. We encourage each other. We help each other. That's why he says, encourage each other. That's why he says, sing in your heart. He says, address one another. Other parts of the scripture say, speak to one another in hymns and spiritual songs and, and encourage each other unless, unless you get discouraged and the root of bitterness takes root in your heart. Our job primarily is to encourage each other by the power of the Holy Spirit and to be singing songs and to say, yes. I want to pray with you, and can I put my arm around you, and, and can I help you through this, this time? That's what, that's what Paul's saying. We're part of this body, part of a fellowship together, making belly in our hearts, giving thanks always, preferring one another. That's to be full of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to just conclude with that and say, well, ultimately, that's what it means also to be a searchlight, to shine with a radiance and a brightness that cuts into the darkness. When that kind of thing is happening in a community, it is light to everybody else. It is light. There's a constancy. There's a settledness. There's a quiet confidence in the provision of God and, and His goodness to us. And, and that's what it means to be a son. When that's settled in you, you know that. It doesn't change. When your circumstances change, you know, God, you are still who you say you are. And there's a quiet confidence that comes in our lives. And we can just live our lives in that way. Amen.